with Hebrews, you've got a lot of things that are concentrated here, but I think that the chapters are shorter. And you see something here, and this is one of the reasons why I believe that the book of Hebrews is written by Paul. There's a, not a, there's a lot of clues here, but this, just the style. Paul's epistles, he usually starts off in the beginning with doctrines, with teachings, uh, things about the theology and the nature of God or about the nature and the qualities and attributes of Christ. That would be Christology. Details like that or about God's grace or about His mercy. And so you get a lot of that fine teaching and some of the stuff that someone might say, why are we in the boring part of this book? And some people might look at it that way because usually... um, depending on where our maturity is, a lot of us want, if you notice this, the parts of Paul's writings that you like the most tend to be the last few chapters. You think about that. Now, you might have one or two. You might think, wait, I got one or two, and I, I like Philippians 1.21. Okay, you got me on that one. But actually, when we look at Philippians, most of us, are, most of our favorite passages from Philippians are coming out of chapter 3 and chapter 4. What we have in Hebrews here is that you had this Pauline writer building up, again, theology and uh, Christology and talking about who Jesus is, who God is. And he does so to a certain point. He's very concerned about those who he's writing to, to those Hebrews that, who, are, who are dispersed throughout the, throughout the, the world. And he wants to address what's going on among them. So we're going to look at that tonight. You ever forgotten something you learned a long time ago? Anybody? Can you? A few of you, maybe. I don't know. I, you know, I, I watch my kids do different things in class and uh, bringing home their schoolwork. And, you know, Megan might bring home algebra. And I think, I barely remember doing that. And some of the things that they, they learned. I haven't taken a math class since uh, my first semester of college. And I'm not interested in taking another math class, unless I have to. But I've forgotten a lot. I, I really enjoy playing guitar. When I got out of um, high school, I picked up the guitar, I learned how to play, I joined a band, and I learned a whole bunch of songs. I've forgotten more songs now than I know. I just don't know them. I can't even, I don't think I can play a whole song right now anymore. But back then... When I was 18, 19, 20, I could go through 50 of them, even though I have a hard time remembering lyrics. But you forget things. You forget things. And so you've got to go back to them, and you've got to practice them. And back then when I played guitar, I played every single day. And now I play maybe once every four months or so. I'll pick it up, strum it for about 30 minutes, and put it back down. And I like it. I'm not going to get rid of it. But those, those things you can think of in your life that you've forgotten in the past. And the book of Hebrews is constantly reminding these Christians, you're going to forget these things if you don't stay committed to them. You're going to forget the truth. You're going to forget the Bible. You're going to become immature. You're going to have to be taught again because you have lost that foundation. We see a lot of people going that direction. See people saying, oh, I don't really need the church and I don't need to study. I learned it all in Sunday school. And they get this kind of self-confidence where they, they boast themselves up and they think, you know, I'll just pick up where I left off if I wanted to. And it's not like that. You backslide. When you backslide, you backslide in knowledge. 
and in your heart and what you believe in. And if any of us have ever taken a period of time where we are away from a church, you know that's true. You know that once you get away from a body of Christians and away from the Bible, you're going to go backwards. So the beginning of Hebrews begins like this, and the writer is stressing something here and a number of things that we want to draw out as well. And so he begins, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in, in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Yes, that's what we read about in the Old Testament. He spoke, God has. And he spoke to the fathers through the patriarchs, uh, the number of men, and I don't think he's just leaving this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, but when he's saying he spoke to them about the prophets, he's talking about the kings, he's talking about the people, he's talking about your descendants, those who came before you, and so all of Israel have this as their heritage, the prophets. And he says, in these last days, spoken to us by his son. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The complete revelation has come through Jesus Christ and through his apostles and prophets. He says, whom, that his son, whom he has appointed as heir in all things. Notice this now. Is the writer of Hebrews simply glorifying Jesus here? Or is he trying to teach something that is fundamental that many Christians lose? And they become immature and they, don't, they can't think anymore. And you see this in the church. When you, when you hear certain individuals in the body who can't be there on Sunday night or can't be there on Wednesday night or that they can't find enough time to study and do their own study on, on their own and they just can't make it to class or to Bible study and, and they're not really in it but they still think they're confident and that they have a great understanding more than others, more than the leadership of the congregation and they forget things. I want you to notice here about the Son. It says, whom he has appointed heir in all things. Christ has inherited all things. How is the Son of God distinct from the Father? They are both God. And so all things are appointed him, him an heir in all things. It says, through whom he has made the worlds. What does that mean? All the worlds are made through Christ. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we, he goes on, and John says, and all things that were created were made through him, that God spoke those things into existence, and by the word, by God's wisdom. So all things are made through him, all the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person. That's who Jesus is. Notice there, again, focus on who Christ is on a, on a deeper level. All these things take, us, take a little bit of us thinking about them. Well, what does that mean? That he is the brightness of his glory. You know, some translations say the radiance of his glory. And you might think about this, and I've often heard it as a picture of the Godhead. That God the Father is much like the glory, transcendent like the sun, but the radiance of the light to the earth would be Christ, and the heat produced all over the earth would represent the Holy Spirit. And you can see some biblical basis for that right here. I can't turn to you one scripture about, for that, but you can see some of that thinking to understand the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, He is the express, the perfect image of God, by which we're all created in God's image. But He is it, the image and upholding all things by the word of his power. Well, who does that? Well, God does. 
when he had by himself purged our sins, again, clearly we're talking about Christ, but we're also talking about him as God. He's purged our sins. He's made purification. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's an allusion to Psalm 110 that's throughout the book of Hebrews. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Why do angels matter? Well, a lot of Jews back then were fascinated with angels. You go to Colossians chapter 2 and you see that. There's almost, there was a worship of angels. It was a part of Jewish mysticism, the adoration of, of angels. Um, and here, the writer, he's stressing, listen, don't be drawn away by that, by this, these things that people make up and say about angels. Focus on Christ. And as you get into chapter 3, you're going to see him saying, listen, Jesus is also greater than Moses. They've forgotten who Christ is. And when you don't think about Christ's greatness and you don't think about the, the, these things, when you don't think about Jesus on a deeper level, you're not mature. And this is a, a maturity test tonight as a Christian. If you go through the book of Hebrews and there are things in it where it's like, man, this is, this is boring. I don't really want to study this. These first six chapters here and these last seven chapters are so in-depth you know, and there's some things there that you may not understand and you may wrestle to understand, but that's different. You still enjoy it. You still want to dig deeper into it. You still want to know who God is and who Christ is. But why would the writer, he goes on. You go and you got Hebrews chapter 1 open right now. Look right there. You go Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, and then you go from verse 5 down to 14. And what's he doing? He's citing verse after verse after verse after verse. And then three more. Why? Telling us and reminding us what the prophecies, what the scriptures had said before about the Christ. Telling us that the Christ is God. Why? He's concerned that these Christians are going to fall away. Why would they fall away? Why are they, why would, because they're not thinking deeply about who Jesus is. They're not admiring Him. They're not worshiping Him. They're not in awe of Him. Jesus is simply God come, and they they know a little bit. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And then they stop thinking past that. What are we supposed to think about then? Well, we got a little bit of it, but the writer here again focuses on Jesus' identity because it makes a difference in how you behave and how you live. Back to how all the Paul's writings are structured. The reason he begins his books talking about how God does things, his plan, his purpose, his grace, his mercy, how Jesus came and behaved and what he does and bring about redemption and salvation. Why does Paul cover all those things in such detail? And then he gets down to the end of the book and then he builds on them and makes application become for them. Because if you don't know those things, you can't really make those life applications that we, most of us like the most that we're mostly drawn, our attention's drawn to. You ever read some of those things later in the book about maybe marriage or how you behave, and you think, I don't do that. I can't do that. Maybe there's a reason, by, 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 a reason for that, about that. Why is it that you can't do that? Well, we're going to think about that a little bit further. 
But if we find studying the depths of who Jesus is and his ministry of salvation to be boring, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we are immature and in danger of falling away. If you're not fascinated by Christ's identity, there is something wrong. If you're not fascinated by what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, if you're not engaged by that and compelled by it, there is something wrong. And so the writer of Hebrews keeps going after he gives this list of verses talking about who Jesus is. Look at Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Those who do not attend to God's word, he says here, this is what happens to them. Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore, we must give the most, the more earnest heed. We must give the most attention to the things that we've heard. What things? He just quoted scripture after scripture after scripture. To the Bible, to the word of God. Lest we drift away. If you don't pay attention to God's word, you will drift away. I'm not making that up. If you had me come up with this, I would say, well, I mean, as long as you're doing good and you love God and you love others, then you're fine. You know, if I had my own personal way of doing it, but my way is not God's way, and God's way is far better. And when I read these books, I'm constantly being reminded that I need to not always oversimplify things and not draw away from what the Scriptures say. Let's go a little bit further here. Do Christians need to study God's Word in depth? Yes, we do. Do we need to know it as well as the preachers and the elders? To be saved? Well, you're, going to have, you're going to be in different places in your maturity. But I know this. Our elders, each one of them, have great knowledge. And some of them have kind of a specialization where they have more knowledge in one area over another. And I know when it comes to certain doctrines about the church and about the kingdom, I can look to Brother Ray. When I want to look at subjects in regards to forgiveness and thinking more deeply about loving others, I, I like the application that Richard brings to us. And so each one of us in here, we can think about the things that we have a great knowledge on. And I would encourage you to do this. If you're not studying your Bible the way that you should, study what you want to study. Right now with the teenagers, Cohen has been telling us, you know, what he wants to study next. And I appreciate it. And so, I think it's been two months ago, he asked, can we study Hinduism? I said, okay, we'll study Hinduism. And of course, we're looking at what the Bible says overall in contrast to Hinduism, and in contrast to that kind of pagan society that would resemble the Greco-Roman world where, where Jesus was and where the, the apostles had to evangelize in. But the, the point is, is this, he, that example there in the teenage classes, we will study the things right now that, is, that are most interesting and most engaging. Because at least then they'll know how to study, they'll build up an interest and know that they can study these things and get more in depth. And I want that to increase and to broaden so they have more of a broader knowledge. And so we're going to be doing a survey of the, the Bible soon. But the, thing, the next class after that was witchcraft. So this morning we looked at what the Bible says about witchcraft. You can see why that would be appealing to teenagers. And they would have no idea what the Bible has to say on some of these subjects. But the Bible has a lot to say on them. And the point is this. I remember when I was um, 16, 14 years old, it was those subjects like that, things that captivated me, that I went and studied on my own. 
And I got that kind of specialization of knowledge, and it taught me how to study the Bible. And the more that I studied new things, the more I could grow. And so I want to encourage you tonight, don't stop studying. There might be certain things that you don't quite understand right now, but find something of interest and study it and study it in depth and continue to grow. Go a little bit further here. In Hebrews 2, and verse 1, he says, Attend to the Word of God unless you're going to drift away. If you don't, you're going to drift away from it. So you've got to be studying. Get into it. Recognize it. And look and study things that you, you don't usually study. Look here, verses 2 through 4. He says, For if the Word spoken through angels proves steadfast. Remember, Christ is greater than angels. And we just you'll read that in Hebrews chapter 1. And you're going to read that through Hebrews 2. But the word spoken by angels, he's referring to the, the Old Testament and says, and he says, uh, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we ne- escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Think about what he's saying here. We've got to attend to God's word. Think about the greatness of what God has revealed by his angels. How can we escape? How can we neglect? such a great salvation we can't escape this we've got to learn we got to progress he says which of the first began to be spoken by the lord here's that word about salvation that was spoken by the lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him and god also bearing witness both with signs wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the holy spirit according to his will god's word it came in such power it came in a way that you can't deny it. It came by Christ, and it came by His apostles and prophets. It was confirmed by God by these miracles and wonders. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to those first Christians to pass on the gospel, to teach it, and to present it. And how do we treat it? If we neglect it, we're neglecting salvation, he says here. And then there's no way to escape. How do you treat the Bible? How do you view it? There's a big deal with my kids with my family, it annoys me when someone takes their Bible and lays it on the floor or just pushes it over into a corner. Or when I find my children, their Bible is sitting somewhere in their room and there's stuff stacked on top of it and clothes or something like that. That's no respect. I want respect for God's Word. And it doesn't belong on the floor. It doesn't belong balled up in the corner of a car. And so... Those things are a vivid picture to me of what sometimes we do spiritually. What do we do with God's Word? We just push it aside and neglect it. A lot of us have smartphones. Hopefully you have a Bible app on your smartphone. Where is that Bible app on your smartphone? Is it on the back page? You know how you can flip through there? Is it halfway through there? Where is it at? Think about that. I hope it's right there on the front, right in front of you every day, that there is a reminder, here's the Word of God. This is what I live by. This is what I need to read. So what does a writer of Hebrews want believers to attend to? That's essential to salvation. The Word of God. Keep reading here. Chapter 2, 14 through 16. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood. And then he starts teaching them. What about Christ? What do you need to know about Him? He himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Christ's mission was to come to help us, to help the believers, those who are of the offspring of Abraham. And here he is. He's given you the word. He's given you salvation. Do you respect it? He's come in the flesh like you and calls you brethren even. Keep reading here, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren. Then he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to expand on Christ being the high priest. He's going to get a little bit deeper. You need to think a little bit deeper about who he is. And then it says to make propitiation for the sins of the people. If you don't know what propitiation means, that's all right. It's one of those words I wish it would be translated at least appeasement would be a little bit easier if you know what appeasement means. Or just peace. Because the Greek, I think, represents appeasement and peace. That Christ makes peace and appeasement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted is able to aid those who are tempted. Christ is able to aid you, but what do we do with his aid? What do we do with what he's given to us? And so the writer here is frustrated you can hear some of the frustration in this don't drift away don't move away from christ don't move away from the word but many do as i I mentioned before the new testament often builds up on the teachings about god and christ and what they do and then makes life applications sometimes we're drawn to that more we're drawn to the back more than the front But the writer of Hebrews, he pleaded with these Christians not to depart from God. Listen to this. This is is one of those passages, every time I read it, it makes me think about something different. And I pay careful attention to it. Because it very much ties into what you read. You know uh, Hebrews 10.25. Most of us be able to quote it. Where we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we are to encourage one another. So Hebrews 3 12 through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now today, a lot of people would not describe someone who doesn't believe as having an evil heart. But the Bible says, the Bible says you don't believe in God, and the reason you don't believe in God is because you suppress that. You should know. God's given you every reason to to know who He is. And the reason you suppress it is because of sin and unrighteousness within you. And here he says that is an evil heart. And that's true. An evil heart of unbelief. Why? Because you're departing from the living God. And he says, but this is what you do. This is what Christians need one another for. You've got to hold each other accountable. We've got to encourage one another. We've got to have some frank conversations about what are you doing and how are you living and are you studying, are you praying and what kind of example you are And he says this, but exhort one another, encourage one another daily. We need that. Evidently we do because if we didn't need to encourage one another daily and we didn't need to be around Christians daily, he wouldn't have said it. If we just need to encourage one another once a week, why not just say that? He says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You need that encouragement. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. He's always concerned about them drifting away. 
He says, don't rebel like the Israelites in the wilderness did. And he says here, if you look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 2, 1 through 2 here, he says, he says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Talking about those who did not believe. He says, because they didn't mix it. And I like this description. They didn't mix it with faith in those who heard. They didn't take the word of God and mix it with faith. So some people can, and I've heard of people who are unbelievers who've read the whole Bible. And they get done reading it and they say, well, I don't believe. I remember reading, when I was in graduate school, we read about a woman named Etta Lineman, And um, she would criticize the Bible left and right. But one day she hit bottom. She was an alcoholic. The only hope she found was in God and in Christ. And she turned to the Bible and put her faith in God. And then she told people, all those other books I, read, I wrote criticizing the Bible, burn them, throw them out, get rid of them. And I, I thought that was fascinating. Because you, you can study things in depth in regards to the Bible, but if you don't mix it with faith and you don't apply it and you don't trust in God, what use is it? And so when we're studying and reading, he's saying again, we need to unite the two. Unite the word with faith. And you can read it, and you can come here, and you can listen to it, and go in one ear and out the other, and it makes no difference. When you unite the word with faith, it's because you're thinking about it, and you believe it, and you apply it. And you see why it's so important. Here's the things that we've studied tonight before we conclude. Points from Hebrews. God's spoken to us by His Son in these last days. Listen to Him. And you need to know who Jesus is. The more that we know who he is, the more attentive, the more understanding we have on why Christ tells us to do the things that he does. Because of who Jesus is, we should attend to his word. I think that's obvious. Some of these things are very basic, but we don't do them. But we need to be encouraged to do them. Number three, by attending to God's word, we recognize the identity of Christ. And by relying on Christ, because we know who he is, we stay away from sin and falling away from God. And therefore, we see how essential it is to mix the word with faith. And I think, you know, I'm reading through this and I'm saying, I get all this. But when you're reading Hebrews chapter 1 through 6, you might just, you might miss some of it. But you look at those last three points there and it starts to come together. Why is he writing? What is he encouraging us to do? He wants us to stay away from sin. He wants us to stay from falling away from God. What does that require? Listen to this. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. He's, I, maybe I'm reading too much into what the writer is doing here, but he seems frustrated. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, but instead you're not paying attention. He says, You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. That's what happens when you fall away and you're not attentive to God's Word, when you're not being encouraged in the presence of other Christians. He says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And it's okay if you are um, a teenager or you're young to, not, to be unskilled, to be immature. But we want you to continue to keep growing. It's okay that you don't have a, a great understanding in depth in certain areas, uh, even into your 20s and 30s, but as long as you're studying and you're continuing to increase, 
That's good. We want to keep moving in that direction. He says, For everyone who's, who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, to those who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You're able to apply it, you're able to use it, because you're continually studying it. You're continually bringing it to mind. I'm not going to keep reading to you all the rest of it. i got one other passage to share with you from chapter 6. But I want you to notice these things. The writer has urged these Christians to move from the elementary teaching to maturity and studying God's Word. If it was up to me, when I read over those elementary teachings there, do you remember some of them? It's about judgment. It's about repentance. It's about baptisms. It's about the resurrection. If it was up to me, I would just study the resurrection all the time. But the Bible says you've got to move on. That is elementary and you've got to build upon those basic elementary teachings and move into maturity so that you don't fall away. And a simple understanding of the basic teachings of Christ will eventually not be enough. You're going to fall back. And like I mentioned at the very beginning of this message, there are some people who say, well, you know, I went to Sunday school. My, my mom took me. I know those stories. I've heard the parables. I've heard about the miracles of Jesus. I know he died on the cross. I know the tomb was found empty, but I haven't been assembling or studying or reading my Bible for 5, 10, 20 years. What will happen to that person? Why did they stop doing that? The writer of Hebrews will say it's the deceitfulness of sin. There's unbelief in the heart that is drawing and causing them to drift away from God, and they may even fall. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. We'll conclude with this passage tonight. It gets to a certain point where you can't go back. And he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. They knew the gospel. They heard the word. Having tasted the heavenly gift, they knew of God's grace and the promises of eternal life. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They had the blessings in this life from God. Maybe the fruits of the Spirit, the blessings and benefits from it. And having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, they had great hope. And yet it says, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, it is impossible since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put into an open shame. What's happened there? They heard it all, they were taught it all, but they still fell away. And this is an interesting passage to struggle with because a lot of people wonder, what does it mean by it's impossible to renew? I often have thought it's impossible for us to renew them. It's going to be more upon God and on them. But as I read this passage more, it seems that people can push themselves to a place to where they're so hard-hearted they won't consider coming back. I encourage you tonight, as you're reading through Hebrews Draw in and take from it what the writer wants you to. He doesn't want anybody to drift away. Let's learn from this and apply it and encourage others. Exhort others to continue to be steadfast in the study of the Scriptures. Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, we encourage you to do so. To be a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus, to study His words, to learn all that things that have been taught you can do that. You can be baptized in the Christ just as Jesus taught in Matthew 28. 
This evening you need prayers. We encourage you to come. Let's sing together.